Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Ranch Show on AM 770 KTTH. Streaming live on the KTTH smartphone app. Across the state of Washington, drugs are illegal again. Except, of course, in Seattle. And you might be shocked to find out why. That's what's trending. What's trending? The drug crisis. Drugs are now a gross misdemeanor all across the state, with the exception of Seattle. It doesn't mean anything in Seattle. And actually, the truth is, and Kent Police Chief Rafael Padilla made this point to Cairo 7 TV, the new law, walking back the drug decriminalization slash legalization that Democrats pushed that's responsible for the deaths of thousands. It's also probably going to be meaningless because it doesn't really force people to get treatment, which means it'll all be for naught. What we're going to see, write this one down, call me Nostradamus, you're going to see a very high increase in arrests and still zero accomplishment in terms of treatment. Now, I think Nostradamus is correct. I agree with him. I certainly know that's going to be the case in Seattle because it's still legal. We have the status quo. And we told you last week there was this report in the Seattle Times that basically said, yeah, their self-imposed deadline of mid-August to pass a new ordinance after some drama from the progressives ended up sinking the last bill, they're not going to meet it. Deborah Juarez didn't put it on the calendar for a vote. And they were trying to claim, it seemed in the Times, they were trying to imply that Deborah Juarez was the problem. She might have been a problem technically, but the truth is the reason why we didn't get a vote. Seattle Mayor Bruce Harrell's office, they're the ones who are stalling this. They're the ones who are responsible for the delay. Because he's withholding an executive order and some other policies that are key pieces of the ordinance. Demanding the city council vote on something they haven't actually seen. And it's being withheld in part because it doesn't yet fully exist. He's had months. But they haven't come up with their policy yet. He is responsible. Now, the specific bill is very long. One, two, zero, six, four, five. And it will essentially align city law with state law. It would move the gross misdemeanor drug crimes to the Seattle City's attorney, City Attorney's Office. That's where it's supposed to go. She has said, my intent is to actually enforce the law with hopes that we can use this as leverage to get people into treatment. That's what she wants to do. It's very similar, though not the same, to the one that didn't pass. This one creates new programs, gives new funding for or demands new funding for different harm reduction strategies, blah, 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 blah. But the bill, if you were to read it, as I have, so that you frankly don't have to read it because it's a very long and meandering bill, it makes reference to an executive order and executive actions, policies that will help determine or, or guide the Seattle Police Department into adopting their own policies governing arrests for public use and possession of a drug. It would have this new standard, a new standard 
that officers would have to take into account whether or not someone who is using or possessing is a danger to himself or herself or someone else. Before you can make that arrest, there's that new standard being applied. And at a special meeting that they had yesterday on this topic, council member, friend of the show, Sarah Nelson, critical of this new attempt. Because what she effectively argued is that by not actually seeing what you're asking us to vote on, we could be passing a law that binds how this law uh, or includes policies that bind how this law will be enforced. And that doesn't seem like the smart move. If we're saying in this bill that a policy has yet to be determined, but whatever it is from the mayor, we're going to enforce. Wait, what? How You can't do that. That would be circumventing our role as the council. First in section 3A by reference to policies and executive orders that we haven't seen yet. And then in section 3E that's been read to us by establishing the threat to harm standard that will govern the officer's decision to make an arrest. But we don't yet know the threat of harm that will be defined. That's kind of important, right? You can make an arrest if they meet the threat of harm standard. What is the threat of harm standard? I don't know. We haven't decided yet. In fact, that's pretty much what Andrew Meyerberg said. Andrew Meyerberg works for the mayor's office, and he is shepherding the legislation through the council. He speaks on behalf of the mayor, and he confirmed what Sarah Nelson just referenced there. It hasn't yet been created. policy we expect to be developed um, ideally by mid-September is what um, we've been discussing with SPD, and they are working on it actively right now. Um, with regard to the executive order, um, again, our position is um, just like we're discussing at this table today is to hear some of the thoughts of the council as we continue to finesse and finalize it. Uh, no, your position is the mayor's position is you guys vote on a new drug law, get it out of committee and then get it for a full vote when they haven't seen what's in it. That's your position. Now, that's either a strategic position by the mayor to have more control over drug policy, circumventing the council in the process, or it's a stall tactic because the mayor's office is incompetent and they just haven't authored any of its position yet. Again, despite having months to do so, it would appear to be a combination of both. And it comes with some political consequences. Not to get too much in the weeds, but this is important. It's important for you to understand so you're not taken advantage of when other media outlets try to explain what's going on through their social justice lens. If Harold wants to circumvent this council over drug policy, he's going to run into and is running into resistance from council member Sarah Nelson, Alex Peterson, Deborah Juarez. Maybe Dan Strauss. The first three that I mentioned are the more moderate members of this council who have said over and over and over again that they want to make sure that arrests and prosecutions are a part of all of this, are a a part of drug policy. Because they understand that sometimes you have to threaten someone with arrest before they change their direction. Sometimes that works. And that concern, that's likely why Deborah Juarez 
didn't add this revised drug bill to the calendar for a vote last week. It all starts to make sense now, doesn't it? I was like, why wouldn't she put it on the calendar? Because it doesn't exist yet. Because it doesn't exist. And I reached out to Andrew Lewis as much as I don't think he is competent or capable. He does at least generally usually respond. He said last week, quote, it was clear there were not five votes to successfully amend. So who are those five votes? Where are the other votes coming from? Let's just say you have those four. The other one, I think, is Teresa Mosqueda. I think it's Teresa Mosqueda because she was going off and I watched this incredibly dull meeting yesterday. She was saying, you want funding for the harm reduction, but where's the funding coming from? They haven't decided that either. Are there any assurances that we're going to fund these diversion programs? No? Okay, well then, I'm assuming she was one of the people who didn't want to move forward. Now let's talk a little bit about that diversion aspect to this. In addition to it not being funded yet, based on the text of the bill, remember what Chief Nostradamus said at the top of this segment? That's not really going to mean anything statewide. Well, it wouldn't mean anything citywide. Because since we haven't seen that standard, this new standard to make an arrest, it could be potentially extremely onerous. And they've given indications that it will be. And they say over and over and over again that the goal is diversion. And this is a direct quote from from Meyerberg, the guy who's working for the mayor on this. He said, the goal is diversion, not arrests, quote, even in a threat of others scenario. So even when someone poses a direct threat and has been arrested for that or gotten to the level of being arrested, they would still prefer putting that person not in jail, but push them towards treatment without forcing them into treatment because they could always just say, oh, okay, I'll sign up and then just not show up. That's what we're talking about here. And we're talking about it at a time in which the drug crisis has never been worse in this state. It's never been worse in this county and city. I looked up the numbers today. They were last updated yesterday. There have been 828 fatal overdoses so far in King County, the majority of which come from the city of Seattle. 828 people who died because of their addiction or because they tried out a pill that they didn't realize was laced with fentanyl. Fentanyl is driving most of these numbers. Last year, it was 1,000, right on the nose, 1,000. It's August 15th, and we're at 828. People died today that didn't get accounted for yet. Someone died during this show probably in downtown Seattle, from a drug overdose today. And so they're dragging their feet in the mayor's office while people are dying, while people are committing crime after crime after crime, in large part due to their addiction. We're going to talk in a moment with Congressman Dan Newhouse Because he just on his website published his, I think he does a weekly column. And this one caught our attention because it was all about the crime crisis here in Washington state. And I'm pretty sure, just like my position, I'm pretty sure he holds the same position, which is 
We know why this is all happening, policy, or maybe in this case, a lack of policy. Right now, the way the system works is it doesn't. It doesn't work. And when you don't have a policy and they want to push this thing through, you know what you can't do? You can't offer amendments. You can't vet amendments. You can't make sure what's actually in these policies that you're now signing into law are even legal. We found out that one of the far to the left defense groups, they oppose this. They oppose this bill as written and they want to add to it. And this, according to Sarah Nelson, they want to add to it a provision that gives municipal judges the ability to completely avoid any sort of punishment and just push someone into diversion programs. And as Sarah Nelson pointed out, um, if that's part of this, you do know that that's almost certainly illegal because the only ones who have the power to give a judge that kind of position over a defendant when it comes to drug diversion programs is the state. Now, the state legislature probably would give them that power. But if they put that in this law and they just go ahead and say, "Okay, I haven't seen it, but I'm going to give my thumbs up. And then all of a sudden the executive order includes that. It just devalues the entire thing. It kills the entire thing or kills a huge portion of it unnecessarily. But here is the schedule. If from today on, let's say tomorrow you get the executive order. And they have some time over at the council to amend it, read it, do whatever it is they want to do, and then vote for it. The soonest they can vote is mid-September because you have to go through a certain process before everything. Under Seattle law, anything that you then pass has 30 days. You have to have 30 days go by before it's implemented. So the soonest we might get some kind of drug law would be the middle of October. That's the best case scenario. And that's assuming that whatever they end up coming up with does get enough votes. And boy, it would be ironic if this time around it was rejected because it didn't go far enough. The last one went too far, and it shouldn't have because it actually didn't go too far. It only went too far to people who are the folks who believe in drug legalization. We went too far in the opposite direction. We're not going to be able to make any arrests. We're putting even a larger burden on these officers. What if that one doesn't pass? But here's the deal. We're not going to get the best case scenario. We will not get the best case scenario. 100%. We will not get it. Because there is no best case scenario. And if we do end up getting something by the middle or end of October, that's a lot of dead bodies between now and then. Because of this mayor's office and, frankly, the progressives on this council don't really seem all that interested in tackling this issue. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Crime. There's no doubt that the crime surge continues, not just here in Washington state, but around the country. It just so happens that it's been occurring a lot in left wing cities. Joining me on the line to discuss this issue Fresh off of an op-ed on the topic is Congressman Dan Newhouse. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jason. Always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, lots to talk about under the 
under the category of crime in our state, unfortunately. Yeah, no kidding. And it, it certainly seems, though, the positive in all of this is, at least to me, I think we can point to direct policies that are responsible for the crime surge, which means we can just get rid of the policies and at least help course correct. Do you agree with that assessment? Do you think there are policies or law changes that are responsible? Yeah, and be- before we dive into that, just let me tell you, I just got off the telephone like three minutes ago with my insurance company because I had a vehicle stolen over the weekend. Um, it happens to everybody, obviously. But uh, I think you're absolutely right. Um there's a lot of contributing causes to uh, the crime rates going up, but I, I just don't think we can ignore um, the governor and the, and the state legislatures. What do you call them? Soft on crime, um, lenient drug policies. Uh, I think uh, I think that has to be a contributing factor to everything that we're seeing. Well, and we clearly see that's been the case around the country. I mean, I have a book coming out next month on this yeah. very topic, and I've been looking at the same exact policies that have been implemented in places like San Francisco, Chicago, Atlanta, D.C., and they're directly tied with the increase in crime. Yeah, well, you know, it shouldn't be much of a head-scratcher to look at things. Uh, when you take away the uh, criminal aspect of of buying and using and selling drugs. Um, should you be surprised if crime goes up? Uh, because it, it's certainly tied into all those activities. Um, and so we've got we've to really reassess where we are in this state and in this country. Well, uh, as far as our policies go, the, the, what we are saying is there should be a against the law. But where, where's and the disconnect? But where's the disconnect between what you're saying and what you're seeing and what I'm seeing and we're all seeing it and the Democrat lawmakers who seem to refuse to acknowledge that there's a connection at all? Some of them won't even acknowledge we have a crime crisis. You know, I got to think that some of the some of this you know, attitude stems from all of the things that we saw happening. Was it was it the summer of 2021? All the riots that we saw all over the place, the, all over the country, um, this pendulum swing of, of moving away from supporting law enforcement. Uh, we saw it happen in the state of Washington for sure, that uh, uh, wanting to defund, to dismantle uh, it, it, law enforcement agencies. And now we're, we're paying the price for, for that kind of an attitude. I, I think, I hope that people will see the impacts of some of those decisions. I think we're already seeing that in some cities where some of these laws that were passed are starting to be changed and we're starting to go back the other way. But unfortunately, not everywhere. And we're, we're, we're still have all these growing crime rates in so many different categories, whether it's car thefts or murder. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it's, you know, we've got such a long ways to go. And then you've got put on top of that, the the attitude toward law enforcement. You know, it used to be the men and women in blue, uh, the, 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 those that are our first responders, uh, they were held in such high regard in this country. Just think back to the days of, of 9-11 uh, and the, the 
the popularity of people of law enforcement agencies and individuals that were working day and night, putting their lives on the line to keep us safe, I, I think was off the charts. It's completely different now. And uh, I, I hate to see that. And I, like I said, I'm starting to see some changes, but uh, we've got a long ways to go. Yeah. And, you know, those changes can't happen soon enough. I, I hope we start to experience them here in Western Washington. I'm not going to hold my breath just quite yet because there's no signal that we are going to see anything change anytime soon at the same time on the topic of the criminal justice system obviously yesterday was the fourth indictment against donald trump this one tied to his uh, election uh, quote-unquote interference uh, and and reluctance to accept the results in georgia it, it seems to me just reading the indictment and going and looking back at the jack smith indictment Regardless of one thinks about Donald Trump and how he questioned the election, this seems to be dramatic overuse. And this does seem like the weaponization of the Department of Justice. Where do you stand on this? You know, I, I, I want to have faith in our institutions in this country. And you're right. This seems like a little bit... Um, of an extreme that so many different things are coming up uh, as it relates to um, ex-president Trump. What I've been saying all along about this, Jason, is in this country, uh, anybody that is accused of any crime is innocent until proved guilty. Uh, We have a process and uh, all of these people that were named yesterday, including uh, uh, former president Trump will have their day in court. And at the same time, the institution will also be uh, essentially having their day in court, too. Whatever evidence there is, whatever uh, motives, justifications for bringing these indictments forward, that will also be on display. So I'm hopeful that going through this process, uh, uh, that justice will prevail, no matter what that looks like. Nobody knows yet. But I think both of the accused as well as the system itself, um, uh, we, we will see firsthand, uh, I think, what we need to, to, to learn about this, that our institutions, and I hope that this is the case, that our institutions are intact. Well, we'll certainly find out in the coming months. We've been talking with Congressman Dan Newhouse, uh, Republican congressman from Washington's 4th. Thank you so much for stopping by, as always. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Rance. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. You're listening to The Jason Rant Show. When we come back, it's time for The Big Local. Olympia, Sammamish, Lakewood, Bellevue. This is The Big Local on The Jason Rant Show. Bellingham, Kirkland, Z-Town. Stories about you, not about Seattle. Hey, look at that. 4.30 on a weekday afternoon. That means it's time for the Big Local, brought to you by Alpine Specialty Services. They're online at alpineclean.com. This is the part of the show where we completely ignore the stories coming out of Seattle and instead focus all of our attention on the communities you live in and care about most. We got some more megachurch drama over in Milton, the gem of Snohomish County. The state decided years after the megachurch in Milton was planned and... Weeks after they broke ground, 
The state is now saying that it found the builders are not following state environmental laws. The land apparently includes two protected wetlands and a seasonal stream with coho salmon that flows into Surprise Lake. Surprise Lake, according to King 5 News. That was funny. It was okay. Shut up. <laughs> the church, apparently, uh, again, this is according to King 5, has been working without a stormwater permit and without appropriate fencing to keep dirty construction water out of the streams and rivers. The state generally doesn't care about homeless people doing precisely the exact same thing. But when it comes to construction projects having to do with churches, ooh. I'm glad the state's coming in. This is the very beginning of the project, and nothing is is being done correctly, apparently. So, um, nothing is an incorrect word to use. I don't know if she knows the definition. It's almost like the people who use literally incorrectly. Literally is very specific. When you say literally almost everybody, no, 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 can't be almost, and it's just literally. Mugda Flores, the communications manager with the Department of Ecology, said, if there are repeated violations, that's when we move forward into enforcement. And that literally, no, and that really depends on the site. So it kind of sounds like they're not really going to do anything, at least. But let's listen to this hero. Her name is Cheryl. Talking to King. We try really hard to not live in a way that hurts our natural surroundings. Somebody just comes in and stomps all over it anyway. That's all I hear in that clip. And you could tell, let's be honest, I'm willing to bet the vast majority of the people who are complaining are not complaining because of the environment. For example, Susan lives near the site and she's worried about how traffic, I mean, the wildlife will be impacted. There were two owls over here that would call at night. You don't hear them anymore. So what will be the effect of runoff and any of the pollutants that might be happening due to to all this? Oh, it's so bad. Due to the construction, due to the traffic this church is going to bring? Oh, yeah, that's really what it's about is the traffic. Just say it. Just come out and say it. I cannot stand when people beat around the bush. I cannot stand it. Like, for example, you asked me a question earlier today. What's the deal with? And what did I say to you? What is your actual question? Get right to the point. You don't What's have, the deal with this church? You, you don't have to, like, frame your concerns about traffic around something that seems more noble. Having concerns about traffic is a reasonable position to take, right? Uh, th- that makes sense to me. But how about this? The traffic's only going to be bad on Sundays. Right. When you're probably not doing anything anyway, go search for the go go on a hike and search for the stupid owls and just call it day, a day. I, I think this is concern over traffic. But also, I do think that because it's a mega church, that's part of the issue here. They just don't want the mega part of the church in their neighborhood. Maybe if it was a normal sized church, it was like a smaller congregation. They would be a little bit more accepting. I, I think that. Mega churches sometimes have a bad rap. Kind of depends on the person who's in charge. Who's that guy in that thing in that state who owns that big mega church one? Joel Austin. There we go. Thank you for reminding me. 
People either love him or they hate him. He's, I don't care. He has a private jet. And so? Don't you have a private jet? Three. And I'm Jewish. Wow. And no mega church here. It's a mega synagogue. Mason County Sheriff Ryan Sperling, good dude. He made the announcement today to everyone via his Twitter slash X account. He wants everyone to be on the same page. That now there actually are drug laws. As of today, August 15th, 2023, law enforcement has been given the authority to make arrests if somebody is in possession of narcotics. We haven't been able to do that for a few years. So we're going back to it as of today. And I want to make sure you understand we're going to be making those arrests. It is a gross misdemeanor up to 180 days in jail. And there's two reasons we're doing that. One is to reduce crime because there's a lot of crimes associated with drug use. What you don't say. But if you hear some of the Democrat lawmakers, they say there's no connection whatsoever. What crime crisis? What drug crisis? What are you talking about? Fentanyl use is normal. Hashtag harm reduction. Number two is to make our communities safer. So those are things that we're going to do as of today. Also, I want to make sure that you understand that those that are struggling with addiction, we have services for them. One of the the terrible results of not being able to arrest people for drug use over the last few years is our number of overdoses has gone through the roof. I've seen in my 35 years of law enforcement, many times it takes somebody to get placed under arrest, placed in jail, they get sober before they realize and their mind gets clear that they need assistance and we have that assistance available. For- what, by the way, you cannot say that enough times. Seriously, that is such an important piece of this. You hear all about the left talking about how they have compassion. We have to have compassion. We can't stigmatize, have compassion. I have compassion for people who are suffering with an addiction. You're the one seemingly content with them doing whatever it is they want to do until they're quote unquote ready. Well, they might not be ready in time. They might die before they're ready. When you put someone in jail, especially over a weekend, they're going to experience a pretty intense detox. It's going to be brutal. But it's going to wake them up to the reality of what they're doing to themselves. And sometimes that's all you need to do. Some form of consequence to get them to change behaviors. When you have a stove that's on, you put your hand on the stove top, it burns and you say, ouch, I will not do that again. I learned my lesson. The consequence I just suffered as a result of putting my hand there. Is getting me to change my habits. You know what? I'll be a little bit more careful in the kitchen. I'll triple check to make sure that I turned off the stovetop. That's how this works. Is it a little bit more complex with an addict? Yes, 100%. But I would rather them detox in jail rather than stay perpetually high out on the streets breaking laws so that they can go ahead and purchase their drug of choice. For those that are struggling with substance abuse. So I want to make sure you know our deputies are out there, they're looking, and we will be making arrests so that our community will be safer and our crimes will reduce. Thank you. Love it. That one homeless dude I saw hanging out in Shelton. Better better leave. Better go down to Thurston. 
Oh, no, you can't because they're going to enforce the law there, too, because they also have a normal sheriff. So good on uh, Sheriff Sperling. I am kind of curious as to what kind of numbers we're talking about. I'm curious as to whether or not, because when we're talking about drug addicts, they know how to survive, right? They know how to survive with their addiction. That's all they spend their, their time on, which is just living long enough to get to the next high. And due to a mistake, they end up killing themselves. I'm curious how many arrests there actually will be. And I'm even more curious to find out how many say yes to the services that they're offered. That's a big part of this. And then finally, in Tacoma, in the Hilltop neighborhood, overnight there was a shooting, a murder, about 12.20 a.m. Officers got there. They found a man shot. They tried to save him, but it was too late. And he ended up getting pronounced dead by Tacoma Fire once they arrived. Now, while they were there at the crime scene, they got some kind of word that the suspect was nearby. How they knew that, don't know. They don't tell us. But they say they got wind that he was nearby. And guess what? They found him and they arrested him. We don't have much information beyond that. And the truth is, I'm not sure we will. Not because this isn't an important story, but because they are now officially transactional stories. How many of these kinds of stories have we found of a serious crime, murder or carjacking, armed robbery, whatever it is, in which we only have about three sentences worth of information? The bare minimum. A lot. A ton. Recently. More so recently than ever before. That's because we've now graduated. The media has graduated to treating these stories as transactional, meaning yeah, we'll just give you some of the bare bones details and then we'll move on. This is kind of just filler in between all the good stuff. That is the worst possible thing that can happen when talking about these kinds of crises. It just becomes another murder. And of course, these people, I don't know the circumstances around this, if this was you know, a gang shooting gone awry, an innocent person in the wrong time or in the wrong place, the wrong time. I don't know. But these people have families. They have loved ones. Maybe some of these people who are involved in some of the nefarious stuff can get on the right path. We're never going to know. And we're not going to get anything else out of these stories. They, these, these shootings, these murders, whether it's Tacoma or Seattle, it's our version of Chicago. Every Monday, oh, there were 32 shootings over the weekend, leaving 17 dead. Now let's check on the weather and traffic. That's what's going on because it's expected. This is the kind of coverage we get when it's expected. And the city itself, via a spokesperson for Tacoma PD, trying to put a positive spin on at least where we are at this point in the year. One lost life is it, it's devastating. However... The fact that we are seeing a better trend this year than last is it's hopeful. We have more officers on the street. We have a lot of community resources that are coming back after COVID. It's certainly true that the trend right now is better. Except when you look at motor vehicle theft being up 20%, rape being up 21%, prostitution being up 150%. It's also different when you compare... Today, 2023, year to date, to 2019 and 2018 and 2017. We are comparing 2023 to a record high 2022 and 2021. I'm glad it's better, right? It's certainly going in the right direction as of now. 
at least as it relates to homicides. But you're comparing it to the historic highs. And we're seeing a surge of the crimes that we are seeing. We're seeing a surge of juveniles, either involved as the perpetrator or the victim. I would argue that's not a great trend. 1-800-465-8770. You can text me which story you want us to discuss when we come back, when you pick the news. Story number one, an entire police department resigns and they have zero applicants to fill the roles. Or story number two, that crazy plain lady is trying to kick off a comeback. We'll give you the details depending on which story you want me to give you the details on. 1-800-465-8770. You're listening to The Jason Rants Show. Don't forget, our friend and local tax expert, Greg Nunn of Nunn Better Tax Resolution, he's growing, and he's looking for tax specialists. If you're passionate about fighting for taxpayers and interested, then give Greg Nunn a call. 425-947-1967. You pick the topic on the Jason Rand Show. Indeed you do, and you went with a Fox News story about an entire police department deciding to resign in Goodhue, Minnesota. It's a very small city. It's in the southeastern part of the state. And it lost its entire police force, and that includes the chief. It includes other members of the department who all handed in their resignation. So now they're in a really tough spot. Really tough spot. Because no one wants to become a cop anymore. Here's the mayor, Ellen Anderson Buck, talking with Fox 9. I think we're all a little bit blindsided by it, um, but um, we're resilient and um, we're going to move forward. So, but it is hard. We're going to move forward. It is hard. But according to the outgoing police chief, no one wants to be an officer anymore. Like I said, this has been three weeks now. We've got zero applicants and I have zero prospects. I've called every PD around to get for the youngest guys out there getting into the game. There's nobody getting into the game. So why exactly did they all get out? Ironically, the story doesn't say. (laughs) That is the weird part, isn't it? But... We're guessing a lot of this based on some of, if you're reading between the lines and some of these comments, that you're now dealing with the realities of policing post-George Floyd. Towards the end of the Fox News article, they say, this is they, they tie this directly to the Minneapolis officer who was just the last one who was uh, convicted with uh, in the case of the death of George Floyd. And they're looking at this. And they're saying, it's just not worth it anymore. We have a department that maybe is getting hit by, you know, the activists in the general area. I find it hard to believe that the small town has an active group of the far left, the radical left. But they're just not happy. And on top of that, they do think there needs to be some changes. If you want to keep the PD, and this is something where we want to continue going with, something needs to change dramatically and drastically, and it's got to happen now. Now, how do you show your support for a police department that's to the point where they just quit? They just leave. What do you do? It seems to me... 
relatively easy, which is to say you support them, right? It's to step up and say, we're going to pay you more because you're worth it. You know, you, you hear some of the minimum pay that chief that we just played you audio of. So right now they pay $22 an hour. He says, are you nuts? This is an important job. It's a dangerous job. They're just going for $30 an hour. That's not even that much in the context. Council member Chris Schmidt obviously understands what this all means. Probably speak for everybody that, you know, they provided excellent safety and security to our community. And the small town policing that they did, you know, we want that back. And what's also kind of interesting here is the, the timeline in all of this. First, it was Chief Smith who stepped down and then everybody else stepped down with him. So they're obviously working in concert with one another because they understand the issues better than anybody else. And they're just done. They're out. Now, what's likely to happen, because we've seen similar instances in the past, a few times within the last couple of years, they're really small departments. And they don't tell us how many people are in this department. It can't be that large because the town itself Said is only a little over a thousand. You usually have whatever, <clears throat> excuse me, the county sheriff is. The county sheriff will take over policing for the time being as they try to find uh, the folks who are going to say, okay, I'm, I would love to work for a department. What happened to all the people? Oh, they all stepped down in unison? Oh. Yeah. Um, I got to go wash my hair. I'm not going to be able to to attend this interview. I'm sorry. Goodbye. Hello? Where'd you go? To Jason Rancho.